第十六足牛化総礼合唱の演禅寺枠例えば水古牛の総礼をすぐるがごとし図画したいすべて過ぎ終わる何によってか美波すぐることふえざる Entangling Vines Case 16 An ox goes through a lattice window. Go so ho and said, It is as though a water buffalo is passing through a lattice window. Its head, horns, and four legs have all gone through. Why can't its tail go through? Please feel free to sit comfortably as much as it might go against the grain that we have developed here over so many years that Dharma talk or Teso or whatever you call it is a very serious affair. You are allowed to crack a smile, you are allowed to scratch yourselves and be here in whatever way you see fit. The most important Attribute that you can bring here is yourself. The fact that you are here, the presence that you are here, that's what makes Sangha. And it's wonderful to see the closer we get to the actual ceremony commemorating Joshu Roshi's fifth anniversary of passing from this world into who knows where, that our numbers are increasing, old friends join. More and more we come together on this auspicious occasion. Why would it be auspicious? Somebody dies. Well, it is auspicious that we had the opportunity to know Joshu Roshi, to get to know the tradition that he represented, the tradition where we saw him as the arrowhead of that. Arrow that flies through time. We just chanted Kozen Dai to Kokushi Yuikai. In there it says Koin Yanogotoshi. Koin, Ko, light, and in darkness is the combination of two characters that is used in the Zen context to express time. Darkness and light, changing. From dark to light and back to darkness and so forth. Ya is the arrow. Ya no gotoshi is like an arrow. Time flies like an arrow. And all of us, we find us seated at the very tip of that arrow. And since Joshu Roshi no longer is with us, our journey still continues and We have to live up to that going, coming and going, on and on. Kozen Daito also says, Iwame kittari, Iwame sarubeshi. See the comings, see the goings. And then when the bell rings, Kan shuze yo, Kan shuze yo, 
we could translate that as perceive, perceive. One scholar once translated it as, you've got to see this. You have to see this. Some excitement in there is really, really important. We are alive, and so let's have a little bit liveliness. Today, in case number 16 of the Shumon Katoshu, we meet one of the ancestors who is a common ancestor for all modern Rinzai Zen, certainly through Japan, but also through China and through Vietnam. Go Sohoen. Go Sohoen. When you look at the characters, the first character is the character for the number five. And the second one is the character for ancestors. So for that reason, many people think that Goso Hoen is the fifth ancestor, which is not the case. The fifth ancestor who gave transmission to Eno Daikan Zendi founded a monastery. And as we know, monasteries in China took the name from the mountain they resided on and sometimes from the person who came there. So the fifth ancestor founded a monastery on a mountain that then was called Mount Goso, Gunin. Gunin Daiman Zenji founded that monastery where Goso Hoen took his name from. Hoen is his real Dharma name. So when did Goso Hoen live? We don't know exactly when he was born, somewhere around 1024. What we know is that he passed away in the year 1104. Goso Hoen appears in four cases in the Mumonkan, the Mumonkan, the collection that we call the gateless gate or the gateless barrier, 48 or sometimes considered 49 cases in the gateless barrier. Four cases speak about Goso Hoen. This collection, the Shumon Katosu, entangling vines is different, as I pointed out before, then it's different than the Mumonkan and is different than the Hekigan Roku, the Blue Cliff Record, by the fact that both the Mumonkan and the Hekigan Roku are not only the cases, but commentaries. Mumon Ekai took the koans, wrote an introduction, cited the case, put a verse to it, and a commentary. The same happened with the Blue Cliff Record. Originally, the Blue Cliff Record was a collection put together by Seicho Juken. But later, a person by the name of Engo Kokugon picked up those 100 cases and provided pointers, provided verses, and commentaries. Now, the interesting thing is that this person, Goso Hoen, is the master of Engo Kokugon. So, Engo Kokugon was a successor to Goso Hoen. The whole lineage that split two generations before Goso Hoen is called the Yogi lineage of Rinzai Zen. So Yogi Hoen gave transmission to his student Hakuun Shutan. Hakuun Shutan gave transmission to Goso Hoen. Goso Hoen gave transmission to Engo Kokugon. There is a long, long line of these ancestors that we all have in common in this Japanese Rinzai tradition. Goso Hoen sometimes is also called Tozan Hoen or Tozan Goso, the eastern mountain. 
boson, just to make sure that he is not being mixed up with the actual fifth patriarch. When Goso entered the Buddhist training, he studied in the Yogacara school, the mind-only school, where everything is the study of the mind, the descriptions of the mind. He became a very well-known master within that school, highly respected and sought after for his advice and for his interpretations. But one day, he was reading the following lines that you can find in some of the scriptures of the Yogacara school. It said, when subject and object are not separate, how do you affirm something that is? When subject and object are not separate, how do you affirm something that is? And Genjo Sanjo, another Buddhist teacher, gave the following answer. It is like someone who drinks water and knows on their own if it is hot or cold. And reading this, Goso became very distraught because he could say to himself, I know, I understand about hot and cold, but what does know on your own mean? And he couldn't find the answer in the scriptures that he had studied. There were no answers that the Yogacara school could give him. So he set out to pilgrimage to look for some teacher who could transmit the Buddha mind. He ordained under a master called Enkan Hoan, who worked with him a little bit, but saw right away that Goso Hoan needed a more eminent teacher than himself. And he recommended Yogi Hoa's successor, Hakuun Sutan, Hakuun, the white cloud from White Cloud Mountain. In the Shumon Katushu, there are altogether 11 cases that have to do with Gosohoen. That's a good number. And to give you some flavor of what Gosohoen and his training under Hakuun Sutan were like, let me read you a couple of those cases because they will set the stage for looking at the water buffalo that has appeared in front of us today. Case number 269, and one day I will arrive at that case. What is it now? 16. So if you want to hear the other case in its fullness, come back in 253 cases. Once Hakun Shutan said to Goso Hoan, several Zen monks visited from Rozan, Mount Lu, a famous monastery, known for the accomplishments of the Zen monks, Zen teachers who were there. All had had understandings, and when asked to expound the Dharma, did so clearly. When given koans, they responded lucidly. When asked for capping phrases, they produced them, but still they were lacking. Other translations say, but still, not yet, not yet. The characters are Mizai, and it happens that uh, we have a calligraphy in our house at home that Shuko-san brought from Joshu Roshi, 
that says, Mi Zai, not yet. A very, very famous two-character phrase. There were these accomplished Zen monks who were able to talk about the Dharma very naturally without any difficulty of expounding it. They were able to answer koans lucidly. Koans, think of a koan at times as a case, is like a box. You're given the box and you are asked to provide an answer or a manifestation that fits onto that box like a lid. If the box is round, we have to learn to provide a round lid that just fits perfectly on that box. If the koan uses specific images, language, metaphors, we have through our intuition to find out how to find the lid that makes the box complete. And they could do that without any difficulty. Also, when asked for capping phrases, capping phrases are short responses that nowadays are taken from the Zen literature. There's a whole compendium, it's about this thick, that was edited and translated into English by Sogen Hori, called Zen San. In Japanese, it is called Zen Rinkushu. And traditionally, there are certain answers that go to certain koans, but really, if you grasp the flavor of a koan, which is like grasping the flavor of a delicious meal, you will be able to pick the right wine to serve with it. And that's what you're supposed to provide when you are asked for a capping phrase. Coke will not do. It has to be some really wonderful pairing that comes from your understanding of the taste and how to complete it and make it a whole. But even with all of this, still, they were lacking. Please hold that thought, hold that feeling. It might not be unfamiliar to you. The feeling of not being adequate, the feeling of not yet arriving somewhere. There's one story that those who lived at Mount Baldy or other monastic type Zen centers might appreciate. And that is when Gosu Hoen entered as a Zen monk into the monastery, he already was an accomplished teacher in the Yogacara tradition. So he knew how to practice. He knew how to apply himself. He had that great diligence already developed and the great faith. The story about the hot and cold water and what does it mean to know for yourself aroused in him the great doubt. So his setup for starting out in this formal Zen practice was really eminent. He succeeded. He excelled in every position that he was assigned because he applied himself wholeheartedly. And he ended up being Tenzo. All the meals were on time. Everybody got just enough to eat. No leftovers, nothing was wasted. And having such a person in the Sangha really pissed off a lot of the other monks who were struggling. Rumors were started. You know, 
When nobody looks, he takes the good food in the kitchen and he cooks it for himself and he eats and we get just the leftover shit. He steals from the Takuhatsu. All the good things disappear. We always get the wilted vegetables because he eats the fresh ones when nobody's looking. So there was this jealousy. And of course it made its way to Goso Hoan. What did he do? He did not do anything. He did not fall into the trap of trying to fight it. He did not acknowledge it. He just continued applying himself to the practice. He took this as an opportunity, as a gate, into looking into his own reactions to facing such accusations. Now one might think that the story would be over with this, but it's not. When Gosu Hoen later became the successor to Haku and Shutan, and he opened his own monastery, one of the first things that he did is he established the practice of record keeping. The Tenzo would keep record what came in as Takuhatsu, of keeping record what was used for the food, how many people were served. The dens started to keep records who arrived, who left. The shoji started keeping records, even of the assignments, who did what. So that wonderful practice of keeping records, when we had positions like that, we might have questions, why do I have to write this down? Came from Goso Hoen, who did not want any other monk to have to go through scrutiny or to be accused of embezzling money, food, withholding this or that, and making it really clear what the records of the monastery are. That's the story about Gosu Hoan when he was accused as the Tenzo. Let me give you another case, Mumon Khan, case 36. Gosu Hoan said, when you meet a person of the way on the path, do not meet them with words or with silence. Tell me, how will you meet them? So I think we are getting a little flavor of this teaching of Hakun Shutan and Goso Hoen. Now, of course, this koan about the ox falls right into this. We say ox, but translated is really says water buffalo. Water buffalo, you know, it's a big animal with big horns, a very big body, massive legs. It's used in planting rice in the rice fields. And if you ever walk in the mud in a rice field or in any deep mud with rubber boots, you know how difficult it is to pull your legs out. So that ox is pretty muscular and strong in order to do that. And it's not just carrying its own weight. Human beings use it to pull devices to plow and to turn over the mud. And what we are looking at here is that this water buffalo, here the translation says, is passing through a lattice window. In the original Chinese, it could be passing through or it could be passing by. Many Rinzai teachers like to use passing through because it gives an extra flavor to it and the lattice window 
Uh, if you have ever seen a Japanese monastery, there are these nicely shaped windows that just have a crisscross of lattice in it, made from wood. No panes or anything, no paper. And this massive animal is passing through that. The last Teisho that I heard about this case was from Yamakawa Sogen Roshi, who is the Zen master at Shogenji Monastery in Gifu Prefecture. He actually was laughing quite heartily to learn that the most English translations say passing through a window. He says passing by a window. Let's look at it from the passing by point of view. So we are sitting somewhere, there's this window, and the ox comes by. First we see the horns, and it moves its head up. We see the massive head, and it moves by. We see the body, the legs, and it moves by, and then, where's the tail? Yamakawa Roshi said, it's very easy. Next to the window was the ox's favorite food. And as soon as the mouse got to it, it stopped. That's why the tail didn't pass by. But that would be too easy, right? From a Zen point of view, you have to look at this from various different angles. Sometimes the ox stands for, have you seen the ox herding picture? That what is the realization of our Buddha nature. And what happens with these ox herding pictures? It is like number 14. It's the full circle from setting out to look for the ox to finding a trace and following it, catching it, and so on. And in the end, what happens? The person and the ox return to the marketplace where his or her journey has started and to be with just the regular people as they are. No special ox anymore, no search, just ordinary existence. So when you look at it from that point of view, what could it be? Well, the ox passes by except for that little biha. The, it's, it's actually at the end of the tail there is this hairy piece of fur that doesn't go by. I was reminded of cows and, and how they use that to swat away the flies. What is it that makes this biha, this little thing not pass? What is it in our practice that we can get the horns of ourselves through this? Our thick skull even passes by. Our big body of self that we can give up is able to pass through this practice that is described here as a lattice window. Even the strong legs, we are able to move by. But then there is this tail that we just can't budge. One of the traditional ways to interpret this koan is related to the four great vows that we chant. The second vow, bon no mujin se gandan. The first two characters, the bon no, bon no, that is the Japanese pronunciation of the Chinese characters that were selected to transliterate the term klesa. Klesa, which is the Buddhist term for afflictions, for mental states that are unhelpful. It includes anxiety. 
delusions that we create. It is bonno that we can address in our practice here by sitting, by facing our challenges, by facing what we can attend to. But even if we succeed in addressing that bonno, there is something that is even stronger than that. And I remember the Japanese term I heard for it was shikke, the karmic conditions under which we were born. In other words, we all are emanations of karmic conditions. The universe manifests itself as who we are in a very unique way. And those are conditions that are somehow in existence. These conditions, this multitude and plethora of conditions makes us arise in the morning and come back, hey, it's me, I'm still here. Yet at the same time, in the same span of time, in the same space, all the molecules that make up our bodies have moved in infinite ways. But still, we emerge according to these karmic conditions. I haven't had that experience that I woke up as somebody else one morning. So maybe we all wake up as somebody else in the morning and we are just fooled into thinking, oh, this is who I am. But these karmic conditions are something that cannot be addressed in the same way that bonno can be addressed. Diligent practice, holding up a mirror in front of ourselves and clearly looking at where our personal challenges are. Karmic conditions are as given as our physicality. And we know, especially in the Western culture, over the last decades, people are even trying to change their physicality. Plastic surgery, let's look better. Some people even feel the urge to change the gender they were born in. And all of that is perfectly okay. But ultimately, these are changes that again happen on a surface, more on the surface of the bonno than of the shikke, the karmic conditions. When you read the Diamond Sutra, you will find a passage that speaks about those who are afflicted with terrible challenges in their current lives. And the Buddha says that the downtrodden by the virtue of being subjected to that amount of challenges, they receive the opportunity to address and work through these karmic conditions. Now, please don't take this in a religious sense that there's somebody sitting here preaching to you that this is how karma works. These are just words that came out of the experience of many, many generations of human beings who expressed it in that way. 
And I hope while you sit on the tan here, on your cushion, but also when you walk, when you eat, or when you go back out into the world, that this can be a teaching to bring relationship between ourselves and making clear to us what is it that we can address and what is it that we have no control over. That's one of the interpretations that we can give, and it's a traditional interpretation of that biha, of the little tail. But when we put together the string of koans that I have read to you, especially the one about Haku and Shutan saying to Goso Hoan, there were these accomplished Zen monks who really knew how to speak the Dharma, who really knew how to manifest and answer koans lucidly, and who knew to give capping phrases. But still, they were lacking. Not yet. Not yet. We can get the ox by the window, through the window, but even then, it is incomplete. Even then, there is something left behind. Now, that could be seen as a negative thing, but I wouldn't really go into that direction. It's not left behind. When examining the teachings of Tathagata Zen, you might remember that at some point where there is this state of the root source of plus and minus, or male and female, disappearing and completely becoming one where there's nobody to see, nobody to hear, nothing to be seen, nothing to be experienced. That complete darkness that is pregnant with the 10,000 things. Joshu Roshi always pointed out that even in that state of complete oneness, a faint breeze is blowing. Completion is a two-dimensional concept. When we look at this koan of the ox, we want it to pass by the window completely because we want to arrive at the point where there is completion. Ah, got that one in the back. But no, no such thing. The great teaching that comes from this lineage of Buddhist men and women is that there is no perfection. One of his students once asked Joshu Roshi, 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 have you ever experienced perfection? And Joshu Roshi said, many, many times. But the teaching that comes from that is perfection is not static. It does not last. That little breeze that is blowing, even in the state of absolute oneness, that blows through the universe here in our human world, in our breath, that even blows when we are asleep, is the perfection of imperfection. It's the dynamic of this ever-changing activity of Dharma, that even imperfection does not get stuck. It is not that the tail cannot pass. 
It is the tale that makes the passing possible. So when we look at ourselves, at times this can be very helpful to give ourselves a break, to recognize, yeah, I am not in control of everything. And even if I am able to shed that I am self, still, there is no control over the activity of Dharma. Remember, yesterday and the day before, I pointed out that it works without will and desire. What could influence a natural activity, a cosmic activity that just works without will and desire? Maybe you could say the biha, the tail, is our two-dimensional looking at the window and the off. And as long as we look at it this way, the tail cannot pass. And when we get to the point, the great faith, when we make the great effort, and when we settle our great doubt and develop this, what Noritake Roshi also calls anshin, and Josu Roshi calls it anshin, the peace of heart-mind, then no tail has to pass anywhere. Goso hoen, haku and shutan, yogi hoe. We can meet them at this moment in the same way that we meet the tip of the arrow and that we learn how to enjoy, how to fully participate in this hurling in a way that is beyond our control through this existence. One last piece from a different school of expression to this. Chigyam Trungpa was asked by a student about this life. And he answered to the student, I have good news for you and bad news. The bad news is we are in free fall. Now, of course, the student was baffled. Oh, that's terrible. But, said Chilgyam Trungpa, the good news is no bottom. Let's continue to look at that biha, our own little tail, and uh, give up on any hope for it to pass through a two-dimensional window. I thank you for being here, for having engaged already in four days of arduous practice in the heat, exposed to mental and physical bloodsuckers, dealing with raccoons in the attic, and at times a raccoon sitting on this seat. Thank you for your companionship, and we will have one more full day until tomorrow of the chance to attend to horns, to the head, to the body, to the legs, and to the biha, the little tail, all together as one.